Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of uh, PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dice. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we are doing. But this week, I have Teresa Robbins with me, and she is a basically a pretty strategic leader with experience in customer onboarding, consumer accuracy communication strategy and implementation content creation and management copywriting social media strategy and and management public relations content marketing and a whole host of other things that is quite a bit and we're glad to have her on the show so welcome to the show thank you Brett. yeah you ran through the laundry list there <laughs> i ran through the good bits of the laundry list let's just say that there you go there we go actually my first question is are you a coffee or tea drinker I, I heard that was the first question from listening to your other podcasts. And I used to drink coffee until it started kind of making have a nervous stomach kind of feeling. And I tend to be an anxious person anyway, so I didn't like that. But I do still have to have my caffeine. So I am uh, more of a diet mountain dew kind of guy now. So that's how I start my morning. Diet dew. Diet Mountain Dew. All right. I mean, hey, that give, if it gives you caffeine, you enjoy it. Not, nothing I can do. There we go. It serves its purpose. <laughs> yes, it does. And more power to you if you can actually drink that and still look great doing it at the same time. <laughs> the next question I ask all my guests is, can you kind of give a brief overview more about your expertise? Because I gave a little bit about who you are, but can you give a little bit more about your background? Yeah, I, I'll focus a little more on kind of where what I've been doing more recently. Um, so I, I've been working in around the PR communications and, and marketing arenas for more years than I will admit to. Well, suffice to say, it's been in excess of two decades. <laughs> I think once we get past that, it's a moving point. Um, but I, I worked in corporate communications. I worked for a global PR agency, um, their office in St. Louis at the time. Um, I taught several classes as a guest instructor at Southeast Missouri State University in their PR program, where I'm also the PRSSA chapter uh, professional advisor. Um, I'm a member of PRSA St. Louis and a past president and a past Midwest District Conference chair. So. I stay really involved. I've also more recently joined PRCA, which a lot of people in the U.S. don't or aren't aware of, but uh, they're based in the U.K., but they are global. Um, and, and more recently, for the past 10, 11 years, I guess, I've been doing customer onboarding at Burrell's, um, which is media monitoring and analysis, for those who don't know. And... Um, even more recently, the last couple of years, I've been managing the content and social media um, for the company as well. And then uh, in, in the very little free time that any of us in this industry have, I've also done some uh, freelance executive ghostwriting on the side. So I stay busy. <laughs> gotcha. 
Yes, very busy, yes. But branding and brand building has certainly changed on social media since the beginning. Since the beginning, no one really knew how to use it. Everybody was like, let's just be on it and try it out, maybe. But what do PR pros need to know to keep their brands on good standing on social media? Well, I think there's a few things. And, and you're right, though. I'll, I'll, real quick, I'll, I'll go retro and, and say you're absolutely right. I remember when I first joined Twitter, if you can believe it, 13 years ago, in the very early days, I was literally just a sponge. And I followed all the, the quote-unquote big names at that time, people like Seth Goat, and literally just followed the big fish and and sort of mimicked their behaviors to figure it all out. It worked, obviously. But as far as brand building, I think there's there's a few things. For one, uh, I'll use a little colloquialism that my um, grandfather used to use all the time. And when we go fishing, um, it was used to say, you fish where the fish are. In other words, you know, you go where, you know, people are, with social media anyway, um, you can't possibly be on every platform. I mean, there's new ones literally quite literally cropping up every day. Um, so I think it's important to be strategic. Think about where your target audience spends most of their time, whoever that is, whether it's consumers and what age group, you know, kind of look at who, you're, who is your target audience. Um, and, and you're going to base the platforms on that. Um, for PR pros in particular, I think Twitter is still by far, I'm a, still a big fan. I think it's one of the best platforms, especially for networking with others in the industry or content marketing, for, for building your own personal brand and network. Um, but also for companies, nonprofits, and, and big brands. I mean, there, there's no... Um, you know, it runs the gamut. Everything from someone with a, a couple of followers to those with mega multi-thousand dollar followers. I think the other thing that, that people sometimes, it's easy to let slide, is that you do have to stay active on those platforms. Um, whether that means posting five times a day, once a day, three times a week, whatever that is, it's still showing that you're staying active to, to visible. Um, you, you can't just create an account and park it there and, and expect anything to happen. You you have to put the effort. Although I will admit that I joined a few platforms and then decided it wasn't for me and sort of made an exit. But usually, what I'll do on those is put a little note saying, "Here, you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn," um, just so that there isn't um, what I would call a dead end in in the breadcrumb trail want to leave for those folks. And then finally, don't be afraid to try out those new platforms. Um, but but also don't feel pressured to be everywhere the cool kids are. Um, I have felt significant pressure to be on Clubhouse. And um, I've given it a shot. I realized it was not the best use of my time. Um, and there's myriad others. Gotcha. And so what are some of the new trends? I think you kind of discussed a little bit with Clubhouse, but what are some of the new trends coming to social media in general? Because 
it seems like there's always some type of new trend, but it seems like also podcasting has become a new trend at the same time too. It is. Podcasting is booming um, in the last couple of years, I think. Um, but, but basically, that's where I was going to kind of go with this. is audio and video. Whatever form that audio takes place, podcasting is one. Um, and video, there are myriad use cases and types of videos that you can um, create and use. But audio and video are definitely sizzling hot trends right now. And, and it's been building. Uh, I think it really skyrocketed during uh, the early days of the pandemic. But the interesting thing is it has shown no signs of slowing down. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're exploding. I, uh, you only have to look at TikTok, right? Um, I think I just read an article that they surpassed 1 billion users. And, um, and, and as I mentioned, the rise of Clubhouse, although personally I prefer Twitter spaces, mainly because I'm already there and persisting at another app on my phone. Um, and, and even if you aren't creating content specifically, or platforms like TikTok or, or one of the audio audio or video. I think sometimes people forget that blogging is still it's not new. It's probably the oldest form of getting your opinions and, and things out there. But blogging is still absolutely necessary. I mean you have to have content to share um, with your brand building. Preferably your own content in addition to curating um, other content. And so easy now to convert a blog post into an audio file and or to do a video and then transcribe it and do audio. So from that one piece of content, which would be would say a video, you end up with three that can be disseminated across the appropriate platform. I would say that the bottom line is audio and video. <laughs> True. I mean, I mean that even goes into kind of next question about podcasting and or drop in, drop out video, aka Clubhouse, aka Twitter Spaces. Actually, Discord left that space and is redoing it, but Facebook is trying to do it. Both of them actually. LinkedIn's trying to do it as well. They got rid of their, I guess, stories. So did Twitter. So they both got rid of stories and now they're trying to go back with a different mindset. So, I mean, should companies be a part of it? I have a clubhouse. I don't really use it. Spotify has green room, which is similar to it. I think it's interesting, but I just don't right now. I'm not, I'm not really sure about it. I mean, podcasting is two decades old, almost like around two. It's started in the early two thousands. I know that. So, I mean, I understand the drop and drop out video model. I understand that it could help with podcasting, but what about brands? How can brands actually use this? Could they do like live Q and a testing type of it? Like, could they do something with it? Because right now everybody's kind of just trying to figure it out still within, even within Twitter spaces. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think, yeah, podcasting obviously, as, as you're certainly is is still huge and and growing literally every day. I know a coworker of mine wrote a recent post where he looked at some research 
I think it was dated back in June, but that research showed that there were over 2 million podcasts at that point in time. And I know people starting them literally like every week, it seems like probably not quite that frequent, but I know people who I see post, hey, I started a podcast. Um, but for the drop in, drop out, I think um, you have, I think I, I completely agree with your thought process on that. I think it really depends on your overarching objectives and goals. If you're a solo PR practitioner or a freelancer or, you know, if it makes sense, if you're basically, your brand is yourself, as it would be in those cases, then it may make sense to, to participate in some of those drop-in, drop-out type platforms. But I think brands are still trying to figure it out. I know some have been on, at least Clubhouse, I've heard, although I didn't participate in it. But I, I still, I agree. I, I think everyone's still kind of figuring it out. And I think they're, they're evolving. As, as you alluded to, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn gave it a, a stab and realized it was kind of one of those things nobody asked for, nobody wanted, and ultimately few people used. Um, but I think as they evolve, for instance, I go Twitter Spaces. Um, again, I'm just more familiar with that because I kind of live on Twitter. Um, and Twitter Spaces has recently just started doing monetization and ticketed events. I, I think that gives a, a little more um, greatness to it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how companies and brands would, would utilize that yet. I see... I mean, I get the webinar model for monetization and ticketing and things, but if all I'm doing is listening, I don't know, that might be a harder sell to get people to pay. Um, I don't know. I think we may see adoption rates increase, but I think you're absolutely right. It's still, we're kind of feeling the waters and I, I think it's too early to, to say absolutely yes, brand there. That's my personal opinion. I know there are some people who disagree. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fair. I mean, I think for the most part, what we have to think about with Clubhouse or drop and drop out in audio as a sub in, subgenre from podcasting and audio right. is more of the yeah. Twitch model of thinking because Twitch is all about live streaming. I'm using Twitch because Twitch is literally all about live streaming. Like that's right. their whole business model is live streaming. YouTube kind of does it, but that's not their model really. It's, it's all about yeah. uploading videos. So in a way we have to, I guess, think about it in that type of model, but with audio, but you can't really see people, which I think for audio engineers or at least podcasters like me, drop and drop audio is fine, but the audio quality on your phone can't match this $350 microphone that I'm talking on right now. Sure. So I think there's something missing with it. Plus you actually have to have a stable connection, which is another issue podcasting. You don't really have to. So I mean, where do we go from here? I know it's everything's still new. So this is all just experimental hypothesizing, I guess is the best way of saying it, but where do we go from there? Because obviously it's something there because these companies wouldn't be spending millions of dollars trying to implement this stuff. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I don't think that's an area that I fully have my arms around. Part of it is simply because I have not seen a fit yet 
or either my own personal brand or the company brand. I've never really been a fan of those, no pun intended, since Twitter just got rid of it. But yeah, leading type content like Twitter spaces and clubhouses. It's a conversation, which again may be great if you're um, maybe well agency or you're a solopreneur or something. But in the your sense of it, that's a lot of time effort that's going into something that is proof right. I mean, you're doing podcasts, which are essentially they're in perpetuity, and now adding video as a component, which again will will have a long shelf life. I mean, the content itself, what we're talking about today, may not because of the nature of it, but it, it's still there's something tangible there, and I I have a lot of difficulty sort of wrapping my arms around those that don't give me something you can so what I'm hearing a lot is that, I mean, it's fine for brands to wait and see, but structure isn't there quite yet. So the structuring That's of podcasting makes sense because it's either me talking to the microphone into oblivion or co-host or like we're doing right now with a guest, there's structure with yeah. that because there's been structure for that for a while, but with like kind of an open forum, open, yeah, basically an open forum, like, clubhouse or anything like that there really is no structure because it's like i don't know how to moderate that very well when everybody can talk and you're now just really trying to yell in a club basically is probably the best way of saying it yeah, <laughs> yeah. i i yeah i think it just depends i have uh pr friends that just rave about it and love it and use it frequently but I'm, I'm kind of in your camp there. I'm, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> I mean, moving on to like the older stuff, like Instagram's moving away from photography and more into video. Cause they're trying to compete with TikTok. So, I mean, what happens with pictures now? I mean, that used to be a staple and now it's kind of like, well, it's kind of sort of is not really. Yeah. And and I'll be honest, I don't go to Instagram to watch videos. If I wanted to watch videos, I would go to a video platform. I go to Instagram to see friends. Well, I use Instagram personally. I keep my account locked down because it is for personal. I don't mix business with that particular account. We do pretty much in every other place of our life. That's my one little silo still mine. But I I go there to see pictures of friends or families or kids. They're big moments in life. When they travel, I love traveling vicariously through their photographs. So I, I don't know. I, I know I just read, again, something that said something about Instagram extending the, you know, first they added reels to the video. Now they're basically replacing stories with reels, I think. And now they're looking at adding... Or the, no, I'm sorry, the three reels in the timelines now, rather than going to another place to get them. And and now they're experimenting, I think, or looking at, I suppose, some of that adding, like, two-story videos. So, I don't know. I, I, on Instagram and Facebook, I kind of like the idea of stories, because occasionally there's something I want to just put out there for a fleeting moment, and I do want it to go away. Um, but I don't know. I think that's one of the mistakes some of these platforms trying to be all things self. 
I mean, in almost social media tech terms, trying to keep up with the Joneses or the newest hot social media. And it's like, okay, where's your identity? And I think Facebook right now is in a really big identity crisis as it is right now because of all the terrible press. That's the least of their crises. (laughs) Yeah. But how do PR pros keep a hold of all this stuff? I mean, I have my Feedly. I have all the tech stuff. I break it down from the marketing tech, gaming, podcasting news. I actually follow podcasting news. There is one email newsletter that actually tells me what's going on with it. But how do we all keep this straight? And like, I was like, oh, where did the Facebook stories or the Instagram stories go? I don't didn't remember it going away, but apparently it went away last month. So it was like, how do I keep a hold of all this stuff? How do PR pros keep this manageable so they're not caught off guard and their whole content strategy is thrown out the window because one social media company decided to not do something because it's not quote unquote cool anymore. Yeah, it's it's a constant game of adapting. And I think I think in one aspect, uh, PR professionals and communicators are pretty adept at being agile and, and to use the term that's been so incredibly overused this past year. But in this case, it's it's absolutely true. You kind of have to move your strategy. What may change, you have to change. And, and that is kind of, I think, any social media manager's complaint is that the, the, just when you think you know the game, the rules change. And, and in some cases, change mind-numbingly fast. So keeping track of it, I am I have um, an RSS feed that I use. It's not people, but um, I, I I literally had a panic attack back in the day when Google Reader was going away because I'm like, ah! because that's where I can select the media I want to hear from, right? And um, so most of the ones that I follow, I get a lot of stuff from it. So even when they're just testing something, I know social media today is one that is incredibly helped me for keeping track of which platforms doing what and kind of keeping that ear to the ground or you know eye out for something that may be coming. But just because they're testing something, as we know, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to ever become a live product or be a thing. But it keeps you thinking: okay, if they did this, how would I react to it? Or does that just not make sense for me? And even more going to the content creation side of it, I mean, how how do we keep the verticals all in order? Because you have video, audio, now audio only. Do you start a podcast? Do you not start a podcast? Do you just become guests? Do you just keep to the tried and true and just do pictures all day long? Because it's the easiest, for the most part, cheapest way of creating content. Because video is a lot of just upfront cost. You got to get the right camera. You got to find the host. And even with podcasts, it can be, it's more time consuming than expensive. So how do we keep all that verticals in order? Because I feel like PR pros are now just like media, like managers of like, okay, what what goes what? Yeah. I feel like we're juggling. Yeah. I I think the old adage being a jack of all trades and master of none became a reality for, for PR years and years ago. But we do have masters. So I don't think that everyone has to be a master at, at audio production or video production. I think it's better to hire people like you 
and others who have the equipment, have the know-how. I mean, here's here's a great example. We're changing up some things at Burrell's, and I've been working on um, a couple of mar- product marketing videos. But all I'm doing is the raw video portion, showing the steps, you know, on screen, recording that, and then sending it over to someone else who adds a voiceover file from a voiceover artist, because I hate my voice, and I didn't want it to lie on the video. And then a third person that actually edits all of that together. And I think in a way that kind of makes room for freelancers or people who have expertise in video and audio production and editing and all of that. I also do know several PR professionals or practitioners that that have become audio and video production specialists. And now that's sort of a, one of the tools in their arsenal that they can offer their clients. But I think that's a very personal decision that you have to make if you're going to kind of move that in that direction. Because I do think it takes you in a bit of a direction. I don't think you can do all of it. It's really difficult. I mean, there are a lot of different tools out there that will help you with the audio editing like Descript is another really popular one that will basically take out all the ums and uhs automatically it works pretty well actually i've used it a couple times but it's expensive because it's a monthly cost and there's there's a subscription for everything now like i can't get a i can't get rid of the the subscriptions now which is funny because it was like oh this is not bad i pay monthly and there's a few here and there but now everything is like now you gotta pay a subscription it's like I don't have money for that every month. I mean, that's like thousands of dollars every month. Yeah, I actually just saw there's an app. I don't remember the name of it, but it is designed to help you keep track of all your all your subscription, your recurring subscription costs. Because for so many of us, they, they quickly get out of control and you don't realize that you're spending every month. True. Yeah, and I mean, how should PR pros even more from a personal side, care about their own personal branding. Because I feel like personal branding and company branding is now so intertwined that any little thing that you did 20 years ago could really have ramifications now, even though people obviously change, people grow. But in the social media realm, if you make one mistake, it's kind of there for everybody to see for a while until the next big controversy comes and then they forget about you until they find something else about you. So how do we take care of our own personal branding or PR our own personal branding while doing PR for the company? So we don't screw it up for the company in general, because it's always screwing up somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I especially am extremely cognizant of that fact, mainly because I had started my own personal brand before, at least on social media and all of that, before the company really got on board with it. But from day one, I am by far the most visible online, that's what I'm talking about, visible online, person in the entire company. And so I, I know very well that anything I say or do has the potential to reflect back on even though it's from my own personal account, from my own personal viewpoint and opinion. And for a long time, I think that kept me from expressing a lot of opinions. 
especially on places like Twitter where everything is wide open. But over the years, I've gotten a little more comfortable in my own skin. It's okay for me to have my own opinions about certain things that are happening in my locale. I try not to generalize them more broadly so that they're specific. This is what I'm talking about if you're in Missouri or if you're in this part of the country or something like that. But it is definitely a balancing act. And, and I think if anyone is going to err, they should always err on the side of caution, especially younger professionals who may not realize the long term consequences and how unforgiving this industry can actually Yeah, I mean, it's true, but. The, the old adage is everybody makes mistakes. So now all of a sudden it's. That's true. That's true. I think a lot of it gets blown out of proportion. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, I mean. One person says one little and all of a sudden it's a crisis. It's like. And it's kind of like, well, it was a decade ago. So how much should we really care about what happened 10 years ago? Well, and yeah, I really do believe there ought to be a statute of limitations on, on opinions because let's face it. Social norms and things have, have evolved in the last 15, 20 years since the first social media platforms on. All I can say is, thank goodness, my space is just gone. <laughs> Once I'm gone, but I'm pretty sure I deleted my old account on there from 20 years ago. Um, but even now, you know, every once in a while, I'll have a, a very early Facebook post that will crop up in my, uh, my memories and it'll show me and I'll just roll my eyes so hard like, like that. It, it's not that it's anything bad, it was just silly. Back then it was things like I'm eating breakfast, here's what I'm having, you know, it's just social media didn't have structure. Yeah. Well right. I, I was playing by ear, you know, and figured it out. Everything now is done much with much more attention. But I do believe it is a very, very, very much a balancing act. But again, I think Communicators in general, I don't think this is out of their wheelhouse. I think that that's something we should be used to. We should be, but doing it 24 hours a day, seven days a week can probably make your judgment call a little bit worse eventually too, because you only have so much energy to focus on things. Sure. And I'll be honest, I deleted a tweet here or there when I was having a really bad day and maybe said something much more negatively than I than I see the next day I'm like okay I just ditched that but never harmful or mean spirited so PR pros out there just be mindful of what you say and also try to be future telling at the same time because things change even though there's way out of your control especially 10 years from now probably pretty good advice <laughs> but looking back at the last 10 years we so I don't think that's going surprise no, but it's always a good wake-up call, I guess, because everything that's been going on that you say when you're younger, because you're just trying to figure yourself out at the same time as being on social media at the same time. But moving on to, I mean, working from home has now become synonymous with just working now in general. I mean, the pandemic basically made it working from home was just a de facto. And now some businesses are trying to be like, well, you need to come back to the office every once in a while, but what are some effective ways of getting work done while working from home? Because I think Microsoft did some new research saying that working from home, you do get menial tasks done, but the innovation like 
parts of it and the more of the creative parts may not actually be as good than working with people face to face. So how do you still get work done and do good, great work from working from home? Well, first, for those who aren't watching the video and are listening to the podcast, my eyes just rolled so hard I think I had a headache because, yeah, I, I um, I'll let you in on a little secret that's not so secret anymore. I've been working remotely for twenty-four years. I've been working remotely since no, anyone, no, we didn't call it remote work. As a matter of fact, back then we hid the fact that I worked remotely. I don't know if you, you, you may remember, some younger listeners may not, but remember the old mailboxes, et cetera, places where you could get an address there, right, to receive mail. I had an address there um, under the company name, and that was my quote-unquote office address, but I worked from home. Now, even back then, I've always had a dedicated office space. I've been lucky are fortunate that it's that I have a whole room in the home I've lived in since then. And I dedicated one room when I'm in this room, I'm at work, when I go out that door at night, I close it and I'm off work. But that it wasn't always that was that's come with um, with experience and, and age I think uh, we make a more clear brown boundaries. But I, I roll my eyes at those who say can't do things creatively and that kind of thing or collaboratively remotely you can do anything if you truly want to i have you know i have times when i have focus when i have a blog post to do of course most of these are, are deadlines i set for myself so theoretically i could break them but i really honestly try not to because that's bad but so if i have a blog post to do I know that I need about four hours of uninterrupted, heads down, focused time. And I've talked to my boss, worked it out. I log off of Teams. I log out of email. Anything that's popping up and trying to get my attention, I log out of it all. Now, I do still have those on my phone. So my phone buzzes if it's, you know, and I can glance over to see if it's urgent enough to open the app. But probably not. Probably someone just has a good question for me in a good way. I think, sure, read those studies, read those reports. But when I read them, I read them very selectively. Because I know my case and I know my situation. That, again, you can do anything from anywhere if you really, if you really have the desire to do it. And this is what I'm saying. Hey, what better way to ask somebody that's been successful at it for a very a long time? Yeah, I think it was it, to my benefit, obviously, when the pandemic hit and everyone all of a sudden just sort of uh, went into panic mode. First of all, I already had a lot of people working remotely, as long as I, but but some, and it really hasn't been that big of a difference for me personally. It was almost no. Literally, masks were about the only thing that changed for me. I live in a very rural area in recent years with the city because I, I wouldn't travel anymore. I'm still within a college of the airport. So, ordering things online, I've, I've, always, I've had to do that since we moved to a very rural, remote area. 
we don't see people a lot of times because we're so remote. Again, I feel fortunate that my life was much less upended than most of my colleagues and, and most people in general. All right. And fun question for you. If you could create your personal brand, how would you do it? If you could recreate it, basically. You know what? I probably got a really boring answer to this. I'm thinking about it. And I don't this arrogant. I, I just, I don't really have many personal branding regrets. I have a couple here or there, but they weren't anything that were earth shattering. So because for the most part, I personal brand is who I am. I don't, it, it's hard to look inward and say, what would I change about me? I mean, sure, there are things, but those things don't usually get reflected in a public forum. Um, I, I don't think I'd change a whole lot. So like I said, it's a probably boring answer, but I think if you build your personal brand properly, and it is true to who you are, then you evolve and your brand evolves with you. But it's not that I would go back and change who I was 10 years ago, which is what I feel like I would be doing if I, if I started over. All right. Hey, it's your own personal brand. So if you love it, do you love it? Well, I don't know if I love it, but it's me. So what you see is what you get. That's fair. Any final thoughts for listeners? I'm always thinking about students. So I'm, I'm hoping that we have a few students who will take um, a listen. I will certainly help share to those that I know. I think I probably have two little pieces of final thoughts. One would be, and this actually goes for anyone. Surround yourself with people you admire and respect. You can't go wrong, and, and you will learn so much in the process. I've, I've learned so many things from so many amazing women in PR and men. And if I could only give future PR practitioners one piece of advice, it would be, I used to say, read, read, read. Now I'll say, read, consume, listen, or watch, whatever those are that that is the best way to, to learn and to make friends and to build your own brand and network in the process. All right. Thank you, Teresa, for joining PR 360 and sharing your knowledge on everything PR. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Read, consume, listen, do whatever you need to to stay up to date with what's going on. And see you next week. Later.